This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Brought to you by Betway.com. Betway for the sport of it. Gambling problem? 1-800-GAMBLING. Hello, everybody. Good to have you with us on Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland, Ohio. My partner, Mike Fratello, former head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Memphis Grizzlies, longtime color analyst in the NBA, now working with the Clippers and the Cavaliers. Hello, sir. Where may we find you tonight? Lovely Los Angeles, where there's no shortage of water. Because it has rained for days and days, and we finally got a day and a half away from it, but they say it's coming back again in another day. But everything is wet out here, so you have to have an umbrella with you to travel around. Yeah, there's some nasty stuff, so I hope everybody out there is doing okay through this whole thing. That's rough. Snow, by the way, when you get back here to Northeast Ohio. So Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome for that. Cavaliers will be thinking the same thing. They're probably going to get snow before they get home because the road trip continues for the Cavaliers. Uh, Three games down, two to go when we're talking right now. Uh, Still to go, Portland and Minnesota. Cavaliers so far one and two on the road trip. Losses in Denver and Utah. The win in between in Phoenix. And let's talk about that Utah game a little bit, Mike. Cavs had a five-point lead with about a minute and 25 seconds to go. Then one of the strangest things you're ever going to see. Long story short, one possession turned into seven points from Jordan Clarkson. A couple of fouls on Karis LeVert. One ruled a flagrant seven-point possession. It was a 13-0 run in all for the Jazz. Cavs had a great opportunity to win one with a 13-0 run in about a minute on the clock, and the Cavs couldn't catch up. They lost that game by only two points, 116-114. That's a tough way to lose a game on the road, Mike. When you think you're sitting pretty up by five with about a minute and a half to go. As a coach, that's one of those games that stay with you much longer than normal. When you go back and you look at how many things you could have done during the course of the game that would have made a difference in one basket uh, here or there or miss free throw uh, here or there. The calls that took place, the seven-point play, as you you talked about it with me. Isn't that weird? That took place. That's why basketball is, is such an incredible game, because you think you've seen it all, and then just when you say that, something happens. I mean, that game, I'm sure the coaches felt they had it in hand, in control, and all they had to do was execute and not do anything that's abnormal, out of the way, uh, play solid defense, when you start committing fouls, your three-point shot goes in, and you go underneath somebody's feet, and all the rules that the NBA have, it's amazing how many points you can build up all of a sudden in a matter of seconds. And sometimes the clock's not running, Jeff, as you know. So I'm sure they'll look back at that game as one that they should have had, could have, would have, should have, but it got away from them in the end. It's you know There'll be one along the way somewhere that they steal back from somebody else that maybe they shouldn't have won to kind of even that out. But right now it's painful. It was Donovan Mitchell going back to Utah, Mike, for the first time since he was traded by the Jazz to the Cavaliers, and he was great. He had 46 points. He controlled the game. He looked really good. How difficult is it for a guy to go back 
especially for the first time, Mike, and, and play against his former team. And regardless of how it ended, if it was a good ending, bad ending, whatever it was, you're still going back to where you, you were. How difficult is that? And as a coach, what do you, what do you tell a guy like that? Whatever it worked, whatever happened with Donovan, it certainly worked because he was outstanding. It's one of the things we talked about last week while I was doing a Cavs pregame, postgame show, uh, the trip that was coming up. And how would Donovan be able to handle his emotions going back to a place where he had played five years of his career, had been so successful, the team enjoyed success. And here he comes back with a different uniform on. Uh, some people worried about what the reception would be like. I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the people are going to be uh, grateful, thankful, and welcome back Donovan with open arms, which is what they did. The reception yep. that he got was was great. And now how does the player handle that? Are the emotions so strong that he can't keep his game intact? Does it get away from him because he's trying too hard? Uh, but didn't seem that way. Donovan did a great job of keeping everything in perspective, uh, hand over heart, waving to the crowd uh, to thank them in the beginning of the game, and then went out and went to work and did what he was supposed to do. And I know his teammates had to feel terrible at the end of the night that they couldn't get out of there with a win for Donovan, for right. a guy who put out everything he could during the game to to try and get him a win. And whatever happened here or there that, may have cost him that game. I know how badly they must feel because I really believe his teammates love Donovan. Mike, I, I don't think there's any question. He's he's going to make the all-star team. I hope he's an all-star starter. Certainly looks like that. He's playing like he should be. And it's been his presence on the Cavs has been everything they thought it would be. But I, I want to go into this a little bit because I, I did some digging. I wanted to see you know, his big games, what impact does that have on the team? Because I wasn't exactly sure where, you know, where it would fall. Sometimes those big games, you know, teams don't win when some guy scores a lot. Sometimes they do. And again, Donovan against the Jazz had 46. He was terrific. He was seven of 18 on threes. The rest of the team, three of 19 on threes. So, I mean, he clearly carried them against the Jazz. But 18 times this year, he has scored 30 or more points in a game. So 18 times that's happened. And the Cavs record in those games is 14 and four. So it's, that's really impressive when, and, but this is the one I found. Well, I'm not even sure how to take it. And so I, I want to, I want your thoughts on this. When Donovan hasn't scored 30 or more or hasn't played and he's missed five games, the Cavs are a 500 team. They're 12 and 12. And I'm not quite sure how to interpret all that. You get a guy like Donovan because you want him to lead you. You want him to be the guy. You want him to have those big nights. But boy, for the team to be so good when he scores 30 or more and to be just 500 when he doesn't score at least 30, are they asking too much? Is is he having to do too much, Mike? I'm not exactly sure what to interpret out of those numbers. Let's think about it. At first, when you mentioned when he scores 30 or more, yeah. I'm waiting to hear the next part of it. And I thought you might come out and say, well, when he scores 30 or more, the Cavs are three games under 500. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he's handling the ball too much, shooting the ball too much, trying to do too much for the team. And it's not working. But it and wasn't that, that's working. what I was afraid I'd find, Mike, because right. that's, that's kind of why I looked it up. I thought, 
you know, do these games not work for the team's benefit? But they have. So I think what it's telling you is, uh, first of all, it's, it's why they went out and got a player like uh, Donovan Mitchell because he is such a dynamic scorer and he can carry a team to wins with his play. We've seen that more than just a couple times this season already where you know they've come back uh, games where they were down 10, 12 points and they've come back because of Donovan to either tie a game, go in overtime or win it right at the end of the game. So he's a star and they need him to perform at a star level. I mean, wasn't that what Michael Jordan was for uh, many of the years that he was in Chicago? Uh, yes, sir. He carried them. He brought them so many wins because of his ability to do that night in and night out. And it wasn't like Michael Jordan was a guy that, ah, oh, he got 30 tonight, but we haven't seen him do that now for two and a half weeks. It was like, you know, pretty regular. And that's why he was up as a leading scorer in the NBA for X number of seasons. So perhaps this is the same thing with Donovan. Maybe along the way, what JB is looking for is other people to step up and become a little bit more of a contributor uh, to help take the load off of Donovan, where he can have a 20, 22-point game. They can still win the game. Uh, because you've got Darius contributing, one of the frontline guys having a big night, whatever it might be. But maybe that's part of what's happening there. But without question, it makes that deal that they did even more impressive that when you give those kinds of stats, Jeff, makes you understand why Kobe Altman went out and did what he did and gave away what he gave away to get this guy. He's been incredible. There's, there's no question about that. And overall, when you're – playing as well as the Cavs have record-wise, 26 and 16, as, as we're speaking right now. You understand that trade. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello, NBA head coach with the Hawks and Cavaliers and Grizzlies. I'm Jeff Phelps uh, with 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Sometime during this road trip, it appears that Ricky Rubio will be back, Mike, and that is phenomenal news for Ricky Rubio more than anybody else. He's been out for a year since December 28th of last year, he tore his ACL and he's been out for just over 12 months. First of all, great news for Ricky because he's healed up enough to return to the NBA and just in just over a year, that's a pretty good time frame on that, Mike. And now he comes back to the team at some point here very, very shortly. Good for him. Are you surprised that he's healed up in this time frame, or is that about what you'd expect? Well, they say that that's what it takes for that type of an injury, that you can be back in about a year and uh, can perform again at a, at a high level. And that's great news. First of all, I love him as a person. He's he's always been from the time he came into the NBA in international competition when I would see him. He was just an outstanding individual. And if you remember, his struggles, Jeff, were making shots. And uh, the word was like, this guy is a magician with the ball. He's a great passer. He sees the court. He can run a team. He helps teams win games, but nah, not too good at making shots all the time. Yeah. He has certainly changed their opinion on that. He, he's become a very, very consistent, good shooter. I uh, just think of happy times with him a year ago and he was playing when they would bring him off the bench. And he would rotate right into the, with the starting group. And now you can take a guy like Darius off the ball, play him more as a two while Ricky was on. And then there were games where Ricky did some outstanding scoring himself. So mm -hmm. if he's ready to come back soon, uh, then I think you're, you're looking at a backcourt of your Garland with Donovan Mitchell, your Karis LeVert, 
you have Ricky Rubio, and I didn't mean to leave out Neto because Neto has really done a nice job for them over the last week or two. But I'll ask you this. What happens with a guy like that? Somebody may not be on that game roster on game night that's there right now yeah. because of Rubio coming back in and, and being ready to play. So is that person someone that's expandable? Or do you keep that person and maybe you're heavier in certain positions? You know, Jeff, when players um, go to different teams, their agents or the players themselves research out the coach that I'm going to play for. Is he an eight, four guy or is he a seven, five guy? What I mean by that is uh, I used to always be seven up front, seven big men up front, five people to rotate in the backcourt with a swing man in there. Chuck Daly, as an example, was an eight, four guy, eight big Mm. people up front, four guards in the backcourt. So uh, that will be determined now how JB wants to, keep that roster as you want to go heavy in the front court and keep eight guys up there and only four in the backcourt. And it would be the four that I mentioned, Karras, along with Garland, with Donovan Mitchell, and then Ricky coming back. Or would he keep five, those four, and Neto, and then have seven guys to rotate up front? That's a decision for the coaching staff, but it's also a decision that players have to make when they choose a team that they might be looking to go to. And Mike, that that's one thing that I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Last year, when Ricky played so well for the Cavaliers, I think we all have to remember it's Colin Sexton wasn't there. You know, Colin was hurt early on in the season. There were a lot of minutes there to be eaten up. Ricky did a great job with that, and he averaged tied his career high with 13.1 points and passed it well, 6.6 assists. Now he's 32, 12th NBA season, coming back from an ACL. And I want to ask you about expectations in a minute, but where do you think the minutes come from, Mike? And I can't imagine he's going to be playing a ton of minutes right away, but you have Garland at just under 36 minutes. You have Darius at 36 and a half and Karras is right at 32 minutes a game. You want to play all three of those guys playing those guys, those number of minutes, Mike has obviously worked, you know, because you're, you're sitting pretty right now. You're, in the top five in the Eastern conference, but where do you carve those minutes? And and is it something that you're taking something away or will it benefit maybe Darius by not playing, you know, two or three minutes there, take two or three away from Donovan Mitchell, take two or three away from Karis. I I think that's the biggest thing that JB might face. Well, you might slide Karis up as a small fold a little, you know, a little bit more, put some minutes there to take some off of his minutes in the backcourt. And the same with, uh, Donovan and, you know, obviously uh, Garland by rotating Ricky in at the times that he does and how they do that, which way he wants to play, you you can save a couple of minutes on each of those bodies. Now, there are going to be games where you need to go with your main guys, and that's who JB right. will go with. We've seen JB go, go with eight guys in games and feel comfortable with it, and then they have to go in two straight games of eight people in the rotation. The next game, he went back to ten. He used two more players in the second half that he had not used in two previous games or in the first half of that game. So I think that's the luxury that JB has in making those decisions, his read on the game. How's it going? Who do we need here? And how many minutes do we need our best guys to play to win the games? And I'll go back to the old Celtic teams, the old Detroit Piston teams. 
even the Chicago teams, the guys that they needed to win games played heavy minutes. And, you know, they're playing for different stakes. They're playing for home court advantage. They're playing for what seed they are uh, based on rounds that they know they're going to go in the playoffs because ultimately they're good enough to play for an NBA championship. And you don't want to lose that. You know, look, we've heard this so many times where a great team because of an injury during the course of the season here or there, their coach will say coming down the stretch, look, it doesn't matter where we start out. It doesn't matter if we start at home or if we start on the road. We're good enough now and healthy enough now to win a series away from home to get into the second round and on to the third round. So it all depends who your team is, how deep you are, and who you're playing. But that'll be a nice question that we can watch JP give us the answer as they go along. One thing I think, Mike, that's that's great for the Cavs in this situation and, and maybe better for Ricky than for anybody else. You have Donovan and you have Darius and you have Karis LeVert and you have Neto. It, it's not like Ricky's going to come back and they're going to absolutely need him, you know, to play big minutes, to play critical minutes. I, I would think you could bring him along slowly. Do you have, did you have when you were coaching expectations when a guy came back? Because I, I think that could be tough in this situation coming back from a second ACL injury for Ricky and, and coming back here in, in the middle of January, something like that. It seems to be a really good situation for him to come back to. Well, I've seen it firsthand here with the Clippers uh, where they've had their two key guys, Paul George uh, and Kawhi Leonard, who have basically both been coming back, uh, Kawhi from that knee surgery. It's almost two years now that, you know, people have been waiting to see Kawhi and he's just starting to come back now and, Minute restriction was lifted on him, so the coaching staff doesn't have to worry about keeping him to 24 minutes, keeping him to 26 minutes, 28 minutes. So the minute restriction is gone. He will not play back-to-back games for him right now. But that, I'm sure, is what will happen with Ricky, that JB, the staff, will talk to the medical people and say, okay, when he comes back and he's ready to go, what are we doing the first time out? Two five-minute stints each half, two six-minute stints each half? How many minutes do they feel they can take away from those other people to get Ricky his minutes? So I don't think it's a matter of overloading him early on because where are they going to find those minutes right. to produce a large number for him? But it might be a perfect scenario of protecting him, bring him along gently, and not taking too many minutes away from the other people that are, are key people in the rotation for JB. Are you okay with the, the number of Mitchells uh, of minutes that Donovan Mitchell's played, Mike and Darius, 36, 36 and a half? You know, I, I think back, you know, when you were coaching the Hawks and, you know, a couple of decades ago, that was no big deal for teams to play guys like that, that kind of minutes. And, 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 and when I translate that to Ricky coming back, I think, all right, there's a chance to, to save some minutes. But I also keep flashing back to what I just said. You know, it, back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago, and, and you see it with some other guys now. They play heavy minutes, and they play a lot, and there are no problems. But I, I just, I, I, I kind of wonder: Are people okay? Are you okay with those guys, those guards, Darius and Donovan, playing those kind of minutes? So I'll answer it with this: Are you okay with how many minutes Giannis plays? How yeah. many minutes Jokic plays? How many minutes Embiid plays? How many minutes Curry plays? LeBron now, even at his age. 
The team needs him. Doncic, you know how many minutes he plays. Right. You play him because they're your best players. You need them to win, and you use them the number of minutes you need them without trying to obviously injure them or put too much on them. And that means if you're J.B. Bickerstaff, keep rolling, and now you get some reinforcements when Ricky Rubio is able to take the floor, and hopefully it works out perfectly for those guys because Ricky was so good here last year. Now you bring Donovan in. It, it could be really explosive. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach, now color analyst with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm Jeff Phelps from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Something happened earlier this week, Mike. Every once in a while, you see it in the NBA. Hey, history made tonight. Something never happened before happens in the NBA. And the folks in Miami pulled this one off. And I know you used to work with the Miami Heat. They went 40 for 40 at the free throw line in a game. Absolute perfection against Oklahoma City. Went to the free throw line 40 times. Made 40 free throws. Jimmy Butler, the big guy there, he went 23 of 23. But 40 for 40, it broke a 40-year-old, conveniently enough, NBA record set by Utah back in 1982. That's really impressive, Mike. So I texted my former assistant, Ron Rothstein, and asked him if he was the free-throw shooting coach in Miami. Albert <laughs> Ron said, wants yes. Take, everybody wants to take credit right now for <laughs> being 40 for 40. It's just an incredible feat. Uh, I don't know if we'll see it happen again where somebody's 41 or 42 for 42. Um, when you see the number of games that I see and uh, on nights where guys just can't make foul shots and then you have a game like that and they needed every one of those, right, Jeff, at the end of the game to win. Yeah, it was a tight game. Hanging on uh, for a victory. And uh, tell me if I'm wrong here. Hasn't Butler had a similar game once before where he was – Something like either 18 for 18 or 19. Uh, yeah, right. I remember years. Butler doing something like that. I recall that too, Mike. I don't have the specific on that. But when I when I heard that he did that the other night, I thought, yeah, he's done something like that before. He, he's he's a great all-around basketball player. When when you're coaching an NBA team, and, and you know free throws were a huge part of it, that's 40 points you know, right there for the Miami Heat that they put up at the free throw line. How do you coach free throws, Mike? How do you work them into your your practices? How do you make it work? Do you try to simulate game conditions for free throws, or is it at the end of practice? Hey guys, go you know go shoot free throws. Well, there's so many things that you do. First of all, more and more teams now have a shooting coach, and he's there to work on mechanics. Uh, I had a, a conversation with a father last night, who's son just went away to college and his son is a basketball player and the father was telling me can you imagine that there are 12 games into the season now and at this point they're trying to change my son's shot oh boy and you know you start thinking about dealing with mechanics and is it the time to do it if that if this young man was a poor shooter then maybe you go look let's try this or let's try that but he happens to be a very good shooter and when guys are good shooters, as you know, over the years, you've seen a number of very good shooters where the ball didn't come out traditionally. You didn't see the perfect rotation. Right. You didn't see the perfect follow through. However, they were great shooters in the NBA. So 
You have to understand that do you want to deal with or have your shooting coach deal with changing any mechanics. I had a player in Atlanta whose hands were too big for the basketball, and that was Tree Rollins, my starting center. His fingers would overlap on the ball as he was grabbing the ball. They were overlapping each other because that's how big his and long his fingers were. And when we tried to talk to him about it, he'd say, that's what I have to do because of the size of my hands. You understand, was he a great foul shooter? No. Was he a terrible foul shooter? No. He was probably one of those guys in the 70, 71, 72% free throw shooting range. But during the course of practice, you have to cut out, carve out time. Uh, Because the practice facilities nowadays have become so comfortable with the players who want to get there early, want to spend the day there, don't mind staying late after practice is over. They have their meals there very often because almost every team has their own chefs or cooks that prepare meals for the guys. Now the environment is different than being in an old gym that you were using because that was your practice facility where they want to get in at the last second and get out at the last second. But as a coach, you have to carve that time out, whether it's before practice, after practice, but during practice for sure, Mm. after you have maybe gone up and down in transition for a three-minute stretch, four-minute stretch, stop, go to the foul line, make two. Back to the running. Stop. Go to the foul line, make three, make four, shoot five, whatever it is. So they're shooting with the, obviously, the conditioning factor involved because that's what it's like in the game. And you do competitive things during the course of the game. So-and-so, go shoot a free throw right now. If you make this free throw, practice is over. Wow. Well, you know in your yeah. mind as a coach, they've had enough anyhow that day. You <laughs> might have had another 10 minutes on the schedule that you want to get in it, but – if a guy and you point at one of the guys who maybe is a little bit shaky at the foul line and you put the pressure on him, you go shoot one or you got to make two or you take your best guy, the guy that you know is going to carry the team that the team believes in. And you tell him, go make a free throw practice is over. Or, go make a free throw. You don't have to run at the end of the day. All those things are part of the bonding of a basketball team because when he makes them, they don't have to run or practice is over. There's, there's a lot of noise in the gym from them and they're all patting them on the back and they're all, <laughs> all part of that team coming together. I'm a big believer, Mike, in if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I, I started thinking about free throws on, on the radio show that I do. We had a guy call in he said he was an AAU coach and he said, we don't shoot free throws in games. We take the ball out, blah, 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 keep it rolling. And sometimes in the NBA, free throws can be so dramatic and, you know, come down to the clutch part of the game. And other times they just slow down the game and some folks think they get in the way. Should the NBA even think about doing anything with free throws or is the game just fine the way that the free throws are used now in the NBA? Well, to think about it, you have to have a suggestion of what they might go to, number one. Yeah. And the league hasn't done too bad. You know, they've changed free throw shooting from years back where you, uh, you know, it was one plus one, they used to call it back then. Yep. Uh, and you know, when Three you to make two up, sometimes. Right. And when you get your opportunities to do it, I was just thinking, you made me think, Jeff, uh, a day ago on TV, one of the sports shows 
Uh, and it was right after, obviously, uh, Jimmy Butler and the Heat had done that, had made 40 out of 40. And they had a couple former NBA players uh, on that show. Um, one was Richard Jefferson uh, that stepped up. The other was Jalen Rose. And they asked them to put the pressure on him. They gave him five, five foul shots. So you have the best out of five. When they each got done shooting, they brought out, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but I guess he is some kind of national phenom in shooting free throws where he, uh-huh. in his career, he averaged 92.5% of his free throws that he made. Nine out of 10 is 90% gang. Yeah. So figured he averaged 92.5%. <laughs> so they asked him to come out. He, they brought him out from behind uh, the curtain. He comes out and steps up to the foul line where Jalen Rose had just shot, where Richard Jefferson had just shot. And he goes, what do you think he made out of five, Jeff? Uh, I'm sure he made all five. He made three out of five. No kidding. With the pressure on, with the cameras on. Oh, Mike. He could only make three out of the five. It just goes to show you what pressure does to an individual. This guy walked out from behind the curtain. Wow. And all of a sudden, the lights are on. He's got Richard Jefferson on one side. (laughs) Malin Rose on the other side, the host of the show in front of him. And Richard had made four out of five. So that's what he had to do to tie. And he makes three. Oh, and man. winds up winning that little mini competition. But to me, it was more important the fact that you have 18, 20,000 people in the stand. They're all yelling and screaming against you because you happen to be on the road. And you have to step up there at the end of a game. Yeah, And you're tired, right? And you're tired. I had a little bit of fatigue, particularly yeah. if you've already played 46 minutes of the game and you're down the stretch now. And the noise, the situation, the nerves, all of that have to be able to be controlled so that you can perform what you have to, and that's make two foul shots to get to an overtime or to win a game. Yeah. Whatever. I can remember as a high school player being fouled at the end of the game, and our team uh, was down, we were down one. Come on. I remember going to the line. Come on, Mike. And, and you did I it, right? In my head was, you've got to make this first one. When I made the first one, it like took the pressure off in my yes. mind. Yes. I, I had gotten us to a tie. Way to go, Mike. And then what did I do, Jeff, with the second one? You clanked it long. I missed the second one. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to overtime. Tell me you won. And fortunately, we won in overtime. Yes. Oh, thank God. Otherwise, I mean, you still remember the story. If you had you never overtime, heard that story, Jeff, you never would have heard it. You'd still be scarred. That's the problem. So free throws are okay, Mike. We don't need to eliminate them. Just give the ball out, anything like that. I, I think eliminating them could mess up the game completely because then guys I love, could. I foul. like the fact. I like the fact it gives you one thing. It does if if you think defensively, it lets you set your defense up. Every time one of your guys gets to go to the line, it stops the clock and it allows you to set your defense. So that's one thing. The other thing is I like to see the guys with the pressure on them have to go up there and make shots. And what a phenomenal night to go 40 out of 40 for the heat. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Safe travels, my friend. We'll do another one of these soon. I can't wait. Thank you very much. And Jeff, next time we do a show. Yeah. 
why don't you ask your neighbors to have a few more of them come and walk through the house as we're doing the show? It's, it's great. We can introduce them. They can stop by. They can show us different outfits that they might be wearing. Yeah, that was my wife. I, I told her we're very rarely, you know, we only do the video on just part of this. So I'm sure she'll appreciate you pointing that out to everybody. That's awesome. I don't like that a lot. Thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. May, may have taken our show to another level. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, he's clutch free throw shooter, Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps, and this has been Basketball Gold. This has been Basketball Gold, brought to you by Betway.com. Betway, for the sport of it. Gambling problem? 1-800-GAMBLER.